My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is a DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and small screen, so we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Tim. And I'm Scott, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. Tim, we are T-minus one week away from a review episode. <laughs> I know. This is weird. It is kind of weird. And, and it's and it's one we haven't talked a whole lot about, just because it's you know, it's it's a it's a DC Vertigo you know property. We're talking about the kitchen, but it's a DC property, and we're going to review it and and I'm looking forward to it but it's not it's it, it doesn't quite feel like how we felt about you know leading up to say Wonder Woman or Batman v Superman or you know obviously Suicide Squad yeah this is this is really quiet it, I mean it's weird because we're not even gonna be able to watch the movie on a Thursday night not because <laughs> we can't but because uh, they're not showing it yeah they're not so yeah so we'll uh, we'll be recording this one a week from tonight a- absolutely because I'll be I'll be seeing the movie like late Friday night yippee yeah yeah me too alright well uh uh, let's get on with uh, this the show here. Uh, give our standard announcements. Let's see, we did it, Scott. We got it out. Oh, we did it. We did it. That's two weeks in a row now that we're making up for the two weeks where we skipped them before. <laughs> uh, guys, we have other shows in our network. We want to encourage you to go listen to DC Comic Squadcast with Chris and Jordan. We have Fans Without Borders with Brent and Ray. And then we have DC TV Squadcast with Ray and a clown car full of Squadcast hosts. Me being one of them. Yes. And by the way, I haven't quite finished listening to your much longer a DC TV debut, but I was enjoying what I heard as you talked about the pilot of Pennyworth. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. And uh, so let's talk about that real quick. So you saw the first three episodes, right? Right. And by the time I watched them, it was the full one hour, 16 minute version that they had on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. And I saw that the Amazon version is is the longer version now, which is really weird. I still don't quite understand what happened there. Yes, but I have, I've seen all, I've seen the first three. I binged them all. Okay. I've just seen the first two at this point. I'm just kind of going weak by week you know that's just what i'm gonna do with this i'm really liking the show uh, there's just so many things to like about it i'm just impressed with what they've done with it so far and there's some really kind of curious threads that they're just you know they're planting some seeds in this thing and and i'm and i'm gonna be real curious to see where it goes but um so you're liking it so far all the way oh very much so very much so. if if the rest of the season had been up there i would have already watched it by now. <laughs> yeah no it's it's a really good show and so like i said you know if you don't subscribe to epics you can go to amazon prime or you could even i think I think you could even download the Epics app, and I think you can at least see the first one, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and if you have just like an Apple TV, I did this. I just did like the, you know, I used the voice command thing on my remote, and I just said, watch Pennyworth. And like the Apple TV app by itself had the three episodes there. Oh, they did. Oh, how about that? Yes. So, so yeah. So it, it, it's basically anywhere that you can like stream, it's available. So like it was, I, I'm guessing maybe it's like in the, it was connected somewhere to the iTunes store. 
or something because it didn't open up as a third-party app. Interesting. It just started playing from within Apple TV. Okay, that's awesome. I, I did learn one little thing, though. There's one little quirk about this. If you go to Amazon Prime and you say, I want to add on a channel, the Epix channel, they offer up a seven-day uh, free trial uh, on it. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I thought it was longer than that. If you actually just do it as Epix Now app, you have a 30-day trial. Right. I knew about the 30-day free trial. So yes, <laughs> that is that is what I'm going to do when enough of the season is up there yeah. for me to go, now I'm going to binge the rest of the season. Yeah. So, but yeah, such a good show. I, I just love I love the composition of the shots, the the color palette that he used, the, the all these set design been really good. So, and, and then of course the characters have been fun. They they have just enough quirkiness in it, like uh, with um with Bet Sykes, yes, like, Paloma Faith. Now her character is just fun to watch. I, I've just been really enjoying oh it. Oh my god! Oh, that, that opening. I love the fact that the show opens with her. Yeah. Come on, love. It's my it's my day off. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, it's a good one. So yeah, we'll be talking about that here shortly. All right. Um. So yeah, go listen to the to those three shows in addition to ours. We encourage you to go do it. Um. We have six hosts in the network and we're kind of doing a lot more mixing and matching than we have in the past. I love it. I love it. And of course, we always want to thank all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash squawkist media. We have a big one this week. Yes. Uh, in a few days, we will have one, our first six host recording, if no one backs out. And we, for Squadcast Movies, will be recording our review of Batman 1989. It's the it's the big one. It's the one we've all been like drooling over and waiting for. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be a fun one. You know, kind of thinking back about this film, Scott, uh, like I absolutely loved it at the time because it was it was it was a much closer depiction of the Batman that I knew from the comics. So like I was so excited to see that on the big screen. Uh, but then like, you know, as kind of time went on, I'm like, I wasn't enjoying the film as much anymore. But I got to tell you, I, I listened to the film, you know, as I drive into work, sometimes I'll play it in the background. I was listening to it. There's so many great memorable lines in this film. Oh, I can quote <laughs> this whole movie while I'm watching it. Yeah. It's, it's just, I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to popping it in and uh, just just reliving it. It, of course, as I was probably saying in the review, it just isn't the same without the Diet Coke ad in front of my VHS copy. I'm just saying. <laughs> I need I need this 4K, I need this 4K disc to have like the old school ads in front of it. I'm just saying. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm feeling like this one's going to be like our Robocop review where, you know, it's if, if you look at it today, there's, you know, it's definitely kind of a dated film, but there's so many memorable lines. And I think that's the thing that just makes me, you know, just remember this film pretty fondly. This movie is going to have nostalgia dripping off of it, like syrup off pancakes. Yeah. It's all it's, it's, it's going to be, because this is nostalgia for us. It is. It is. It really is. Yeah. This was really kind of the start of like the more modern DC type films, really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, if you want to listen to that, head on over to patreon.com slash Media, and remember it's only $5 a month. And I think you counted, we're at over over 200 pieces of content that you can listen to as a as a patron i actually just posted today of this recording uh the new fans without borders plus where ray and i reviewed once upon a time in hollywood yeah. so i mean it 
there is something, at, you know, normally at least once a week at minimum. Yeah. And there are some weeks where like, you know, because we don't really necessarily coordinate amongst the different hosts, like what we're going to drop during a week. We just kind of each do our own thing and we, we'll drop something on there. We, we've had weeks where we're like, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're all dropping like a pretty significant episode of something all at the same time. I'm like, oh, well, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to it when you feel like it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's get on with the news, which there isn't terrible a lot, but there's some interesting talking points I feel like we need to talk about, yeah. especially maybe not as much when it comes to the DC film side, but most definitely when it comes to the Warner Media AT&T corporate side. There were a lot of significant interviews popping up this week, especially in Variety. They actually interviewed Ann Sarnoff. They had a profile on John Stankey. So there and there were and there were tidbits to gleam from those interviews. And so I thought it might be interesting to kind of talk about some of them. The first one I thought we might address would be this Ann Sarnoff interview. First off, I thought it was interesting to realize that her father-in-law, Bill Sarnoff, who we knew worked for Warner Brothers, we'd, we'd heard that beforehand when she was hired. But then it turns out that Bill Sarnoff was responsible for approving Christopher Reeve's casting in Donner's Superman movie back in 1977. <laughs> wow. I thought that was kind of funny. That is kind of funny. I mean, you don't expect to have that kind of real connection. That's interesting. And also, a, Bill Sarnoff uh, orchestrated the original acquisition of DC Comics uh, under Warner Brothers back in 1968, which is a good question because based on some other stories we'll talk about, I was wondering, how long has DC Comics been owned by Warner Brothers? And apparently it was the late 60s. Yeah, 50 years. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Like, I, I didn't expect there were going to be any of those kind of connections. So you, you sit there and you see this. I'm like, well, I'm hoping the fact that this was even brought up uh, in this interview, that it's because it's something that's kind of on Ann Sarnoff's mind. You know, that I there that there so. is a connection there. There's like the fa- there is a legacy part of the family involvement when it comes to DC properties. <laughs> yeah, because here was a here was a quote from Ann Sarnoff in this interview in Variety that I thought kind of stood out to me. Uh, she said, you have to build a company not by looking in the rearview mirror, but by trying to look around corners at how people are going to consume media in the future, which I think is very forward thinking of her. I think yes. it's a good strategy for long term growth because she continued to say, what do smart televisions mean for the way we consume media? What can we do to enhance the theatrical experience to get people out of the house and into theaters? All of those things need to be thought through. The one thing you know for sure is that you can't always just keep doing things the way we've always done them. I've taken jobs where I've had to learn new industries pretty quickly. I think I bring perspective and a fresh way of looking at the business. And if you remember the episode that we basically profiled Ann Sarnoff a few weeks ago, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of her modus operandi. That's like what she's been doing for her entire career. Yeah, for sure. And and some of the stuff, and I, I, I think maybe now would be a good time to talk about it. I mean, we did see that, you know, Doctor Who is going to be on, you know, Warner Media streaming service. Yeah, Warner Mothers, uh, jumping ahead then, because you brought that up. Yeah, though, apparently HBO Max is going to have exclusive streaming rights to multiple BBC productions, including Doctor Who, The Office, the British version, yeah. Top Gear, Luther, and The Honorable Women. And I'm sitting here going, except for one of those shows they named, I have, I'm either familiar with or have watched everything they just named. Well, and this is one of the things we talked about when we profiled her. Like, she was the one that kind of started this whole BBC streaming service, right? I mean, she yeah, was, Brit she Box. was, at, yeah, BritBox. I mean, she was in, to, to, at whatever level, she it was under her watch that that was started. 
started, right? And so right. it was really interesting. Like that was one of the things that kind of jumped out at us when we talked about this thing about her being hired. I'm like, well, that's kind of an interesting connection. And then sure yeah. enough, look what happens. Yeah, which I feel like that is totally Warner Brothers using that 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 that, that sort of co- that connective tissue there to say, okay, I used to work at BBC World Americas. Um, can you can you do anything for us? And now you know, of course, I loved how they said all the eleven seasons of Doctor Who, and of course, as a Who fan, <laughs> there's like forty nine, right? There's, uh, I don't know. How okay, many, obviously, but... you're talking about the the relaunch, <laughs> the relaunch seasons, Modern right. Who. Okay, yeah. okay. There's <laughs> so does BBC like the the early Doctor Who? Like, who owns all those? I know we're we're kind of like diverging here, but I'm I'm kind of curious because I figure if anyone know, you'd probably know. Oh yeah, BBC does because uh, BBC Worldwide is also responsible for the DVD releases of Doctor Who that you can get, uh, well, that you can or could get. Okay. So so that, you know, that's all that's all that's all being produced by BBC, and and now they're doing reissues of DVDs that had gone out of print. They're kind of doing like they literally have a a service now called BBC Archive, just like WB Archive, yeah. where they're doing manufacture on-demand releases. So they're taking some of the older serials that have gone out of print and now they're bringing them back into print on a manufacture on-demand basis. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to see you know, they're, they're, once again more of these connections between BBC and Warner Brothers. Okay, but why? Like, is there something is there something larger going on that is just I, not at the surface yet? That is an excellent question. I don't know. Because, I mean, that's the thing too, like, and, and I don't know how well BritBox is doing, but I mean, BritBox was like a great service to kind of like get their programming outside of the UK, right? I mean, so th- by doing this, doesn't this, if there was somebody that was kind of interested in, you know, in the BBC programming because of like, say, Doctor Who, like they've got a whole different avenue to get it now. Well, and according to this, it's an exclusive avenue to get it. But, but couldn't they, couldn't people still get it through BritBox? Well, that's the thing. When I read, when I read the article and at least the, because there were like three different articles talking about this story and the one from Variety says, and this is the first sentence the forthcoming Warner Media streaming platform has acquired the exclusive streaming rights to they said Doctor Who under the deal HBO Max has also licensed several hundred episodes of multiple other BBC shows namely The Office Top Gear Luther and The Honorable Women now it says it's licensed those but it but the variety article led with the fact that exclusively you'll be able to stream Doctor Who on Warner Media which is interesting because now you stream Doctor Who through Amazon Prime. Yeah. That's who you get. That's how you get your Doctor Who now. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is certainly really interesting here. Like, I, I just kind of feel like that, you know, there's going to be more to the story, you know, later on. It just feels like this just doesn't happen out of the blue. So, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, Amazon and BBC have been doing some co-productions lately. So I feel like that maybe now there's been a shift from Amazon to WarnerMedia as sort of their new partner. I don't know yeah but I'm, I'm just i'm just i'm just trying to read the tea leaves here and i but i really feel like that Anne sarnoff moving over to be the ceo is kind of that it's kind of that you know follow the money yeah. kind of you know track to follow yeah i don't know so on this one i would say this is one that you just want to kind of stay tuned on like i think there's there's more to this it just feels like it anyway yes um was there anything else with Anne that you wanted to talk no about? that was really that was really the big thing you know most of it was just a lot more just sort of her you know kind of hearing the things we 
you've already heard about her, but just kind of hearing it from her, you know. But that was the one quote that I really felt like spoke to uh, spoke to what her vision as a CEO was going to be. She did have another comment where she was talking about Warner Media, and she said they're looking for leadership. I got a sense of extreme optimism and a readiness to lean in and figure out what the strategy is going forward. Yeah, probably because they actually want a strategy yeah. going forward, which we seem to have gotten the we've gotten the feel that everyone has just kind of been sitting around going. Yeah. So what are we doing? Yeah, it's it's certainly felt like a rudderless ship, uh, certainly with the DC properties. So Absolutely. just kind of hoping that you know this is uh, this is kind of a sign of things to come. That okay, now that they're getting a little bit of uh, certainty about what their future will be here, um, you know who their leader is going to be, that they can just start locking some of this stuff down. Scott and I were kind of talking before we even started, just from the DC perspective. You know, we, we kind of feel like it's it's just been so quiet in terms of like DC films. Doing this show has been a little hard for the past few weeks, months. I mean, it's just kind of like, what are we supposed to talk about? Well, and not just that. It's like, I, you know, we were talking about back when we were, you know, before Batman v Superman came out or before Suicide Squad or even Wonder Woman. Like, all these films, we were, you know, there was always like something. Like, you just kind of felt the energy. You felt like there was enthusiasm. And, and you're just not feeling that right now. And it's, and it's for one thing, it's just, we think it's just largely due to the fact that, like, whatever vision it is, like, they don't have people, like, pushing it forward right now because there's been so much uncertainty between this acquisition and, you know, with the shakeup of management. And there's been a big shakeup in management. I mean, it's been a rotating door of management. Yeah, it has. So so you're just like, okay, like, are we going to finally get, you know, get a steady ship here, get a direction and move forward and then, you know, start pumping up the enthusiasm for, you know, what they're going to do with these properties, you know, whatever they decide to do with it, like at least start getting something out there, get us excited, you know, and we're just lacking that right now. I mean, and, and it's not saying that there aren't movies that we're looking forward to. It's just that we've got nothing out there to help us prop us up with that. It's yeah. like, I'm looking forward to the kitchen. I'm really psyched for Joker, you know, and of the movies coming out next year, Birds of Prey is like my big, yeah, this, this Birds of Prey is the one that feels like, oh, this is my jam. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you just want to, you want, you want to feel like that they've got stuff coming, that things are happening, things are moving and, you know, and we know things are moving. We know, obviously, you know, we've got the Suicide Squad, things are happening there. We've got, obviously, things are coming together with the Batman. Uh, we have the things that have already been in production, like the Birds of Prey. Like, we know stuff's happening, but like, you're not getting you're not getting these little extra pushes. You're not getting fed. You're not getting fed like we used to be. So they need to turn that around. Yeah. And then there was this really, really extensive profile on Jan, uh, John Stankey in Variety as well. And I would recommend if you want some, if you want some little corporate tidbits, you need to go read this because it is extensive. I mean, Tim can just look at the notes that I have prepared and. And I have like the entire article here and it is long. It is big and thick. And I tried to just highlight some nuggets that we could share on the show that I felt like would be informative for the listeners. But I would recommend you going and finding this this profile on Variety. Yeah, it's a long one. Yeah. There's this professor of information technology at Carnegie Mellon who had this to say about Stan Key. He said, he's tough, hard charging, and he gets things done. The big challenge he faces is he's an outsider. That has its advantages because he sees the business differently, but it also means he's seen as an outsider who is a threat to the established way of doing 
things. <laughs> oh boy, if we is that a song and dance we've been hearing lately? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's real too. You know, I've you know I've been in organizations and situations like that where somebody comes in completely. You know, I mean, they are legitimately an outsider, and there's a lot of uneasiness. And I wouldn't say distrust, but like certainly people are just walking on eggshells a lot more in a situation like that. Yeah, and apparently, you know, they they've making some comments about how Warner Media raised the curtain July 9th on the launch of HBO Max. Apparently, this was according to Variety to the chagrin of some at HBO because they didn't like the idea of the HBO brand being associated with things that were not specifically HBO, but we even talked about when that got released that we thought that was smart because you use that brand and people recognize that brand. But there are people who have worked at HBO who uh, are not particularly thrilled with that idea. And what this Variety article says is this is the biggest signal that a new era has dawned for the former Time Warner fiefdoms that, that basically, okay, stop playing in your own individual little sandboxes. Yeah. You know, it, Stan Key said, if you're going to be relevant in entertainment distribution moving forward, you're going to have to have a scaled product that gets into the most households. There's a tremendous amount of urgency around HBO Max. It's good for AT&T overall that the world is moving to direct relationships with customers. That's not foreign to AT&T's business. Yeah. So once again, what you're hearing here is how does this help AT&T? How is this good for AT&T? Well, and this is the other thing, too, when we talk about like uh, the unease of some of those at you know HBO's like uh, we'll say silo in the company you know I can I can understand how they would have a lot of pride and like hey you know we were doing a lot of original shows and and that was a special kind of brand that they had but like let's face it that was definitely true at the time but there's a lot of different outlets right now that are doing original programming that are putting out some really good shows and so they don't have the exclusivity that they used to have when it comes to like hey we're the premium original content provider like they're actually not that anymore. Uh, and no. they, they still might, you know, they may still arguably have the best premium content they're putting out there, but, uh, but there's some awful good shows being put out by other other entities. Hulu, Amazon. Yeah. And, you know. So you you have to be, you have to recognize that you need to expand your reach at that point. Yeah. He, uh, Stan Kiesa said, we didn't put a hundred billion into a transaction for want of a couple billion to figure out how to run it better. We are going to invest in content and we are going to put several billion more into to make sure that a hundred billion dollar investment pays off in the way we expect it would. So keep that in mind. AT and D loaded up some debt to acquire what is now Warner Media. That's important for a story that we're going to be talking about moving forward. Right. Uh, Stan Key uh, describes himself as I am action oriented. I have a bias to wanting to move forward, not to contemplate and evaluate. The first step is trying to get everybody to agree to do something. Absent that, I'll make the decision on behalf of everybody if they don't want to call or pick the direction for a want of not staying in the same place. That was interesting. I thought that was a very telling quote. Yeah, I'm reading it again right now just to try to digest that. That's a that's a loaded quote right there, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Basically, it, it kind of reminds me of the phrase, um, and I'll, I'll clean it up here, but crap or get off the pot. All right. And it sounds like Stan Key's like, okay, guys, I'm going to give you a choice, but if you don't... If 
if but if you're just going to twiddle your thumbs, I'm going to make the call. So, yeah, <laughs> that's going to get your attention right there, that kind of a quote. Yeah, yeah. exactly, which is why I highlighted it. Yeah. And then there was a quote here also from Casey Bloys, the HBO president of programming. Uh, they said uh, Stanky's introduction was positive because one of his first acts was to approve the increase in HBO's content budget. My first impression of him was great. He came in saying, go spend more and go do more. Okay, well, course, I mean... If, if you're the president of programming, of course you like getting your budget increased. <laughs> and also, like, I mean, what else are you going to say? He works for Stanky, right? So Yeah, but there was enough in this article talking about other people who, uh, you know, are getting rubbed the wrong way. But once again, it comes from all these different silos or people who got shifted around or pushed out. So... I, I was uh, I was really interested in some of the other stuff here that you had said. Like, I mean, in terms of talking about some of the strategy here, talked about how Warner Brothers, and we talked about this before, they, you know, they put out about 20 films a year. And apparently Stanky believes that that number can rise to as much as 30 films a year annually. That's crazy considering the state of, uh, of basically films that are exhibited nowadays on theaters. Like it's it's being driven much more towards like the big blockbuster type films. And it's interesting that at least at, at this point in time, a suggestion that they'd like to even increase that number even more. Well, here, here's what he says, because he addresses that. He actually says, we can do more. He's, he notes that the amortization cushion provided by HBO Max, he says, will enable the company to take bets on dramas, thrillers, and other genres that are becoming an endangered species in a movie business obsessed with comic book movies and big budget franchises. He says, quote, the tentpole franchise dynamic has squeezed a lot of stuff out of theatrical production. This is going to allow some things to come in that more super serve various niches in the customer base. So, okay, I'm going to be honest, though. I read that quote and I was just like, hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hope that means what we think it means because, you know, we we talked about with Fox being acquired by Disney and you're already starting to see some of those little niche, more artistic type avenues in Fox starting to be, you know, closed down. Uh, you know, we've always worried about like Fox Searchlight, which has just been a premier like... Uh, independent type. Like fi- independent type film, yeah. And you just worry that you're going to lose that with Disney. And and that's something that I've always wanted, like, you know, at least Warner Brothers. Like, I've wanted another studio to kind of have that. And and if this is what he's kind of implying by that, then, then that's great. Because if you really think about what he's doing here is you're trying to create original content, get it out there. But that's going to that's the stuff that's going to end up on HBO Max ultimately. Right. But his point is we can do it with HBO Max and we can serve it there. Yeah. So once again, it's kind of like the idea of Netflix making movies yeah. or Amazon making movies yeah. that maybe get limited theatrical runs. You know, side note, kind of like the new Martin Scorsese movie that is going to be on Netflix, but is going to get a limited theatrical run as well. Right, right. But it, but it's mainly going to be served on Netflix. I have a feeling Stanky's talking about that with HBO Max. That's what it seems like, yes. Yeah. Okay. So that, I mean, once again, this is a dense article. And I just tried to, but those were the highlights that I felt like affected us the most. Because once again, you notice he's not leaning into the idea of the tentpole franchise, which is kind of like what our, it's kind of what our whole podcast, you know, revolves around. And he's kind of saying, well, we want to be able to serve everything else. And so that might make some people nervous. And there's one article that we're going to talk about a little bit that kind of plays into that. Right. So what this brings up is this Forbes, I'm not sure if I could call it an article. It felt more like a, a 
column or an editorial. Like, I don't know if it was really news. It wasn't news. It felt like a mixture of speculation and trying to put some pieces together. The, The gist of the article was, where does DC Comics fit in AT&T's vision moving forward because what they brought up was the fact that there was no dedicated DC Comics booth at San Diego Comic-Con this summer that it was just one facet of a Warner Media booth that existed and the Forbes article actually referenced that profile on Stan Key that we just covered and the author of this Forbes piece says DC was one of the only Warner Media brands that was not mentioned. The the uh, the writer says to the extent that DC matters at all in the company's future, it's as a source of owned IP for other media channels and as a lifestyle brand to serve as an ambassador to geek culture. Which is interesting because I was at a panel this past weekend at a local sci-fi fantasy convention, and this is a topic we have been bringing up for about a year or two now. And this writer has just kind of brought up what's already kind of been the zeitgeist, which is it's going to get to the point where all these corporate owners of these comic book companies don't really care about the comic books themselves, more that they are a house of ideas for them to turn them into other products that they can use. So what this Forbes writer is saying, and I, I really should, bother to you know give this Forbes writer credit so I can stop just saying this Forbes writer uh, Rob Sikowski is saying that as far, what his I guess you know reading the tea leaves is that AT&T is kind of viewing DC Comics more as we like the IPs but maybe the actual comic book publishing isn't a huge concern of ours yeah so that's obviously the concern right because I mean let's face it you look at all the different comic book films that we've had out there and the fact that we've had so many different properties, you know, originally lifted from origin in the comics and actually having movies made out of them. You know, we, we have a whole podcast that we do on Patreon about that. I mean, we're, we're talking about movies that are straight from the comics. So many of these stories are really genuinely inspired right from actual stories that were developed and released in comics. And it's like like that idea pipeline, I, 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 I would hate to see them ever lose that. And, I, and I, what I'm hoping, I'm hoping they value the idea that, you know, yeah, you have these very various writers and, and artists trying to create up like this visual media where, you know, I mean, you, you'll you have like years and years worth of stories and out of them, some of those are going to, uh, are really going to pop and, and they're going to, they're going to be viewed as like, Hey, that's a really good story. That thing really works. And then that's the stuff that can be identified and put into film. And, and I hope they still have that idea engine out there where you could have but, tons of people trying to develop things and find something that works, find an idea that really pops. But I, but the th- deal though, is that, and this is something that we brought up at this panel last weekend. But it, it's also a possibility that how much more future is there in the printed comic periodical type product? Because something that this article brings up, and it's funny because we talked about this last weekend at, at this convention, it, it, and this is this is a quote, in terms of pure economics, this makes sense. The entire comics publishing business in the United States, including periodicals, digital, and trade, adds up to around $1.1 billion, according to 2018 estimates by industry analysts. So basically, all comic book sales of any kind only accounted for about $1.1 billion. So what one of these movies can make 
is what all comic book sales made in a year. And then on a good month, about 35% of the revenue from the direct market goes to DC. So, but a huge chunk of that is trades, perennial titles, like Watchmen or The Dark Knight Returns. It's not the new stuff. It's the old stuff that just keeps on selling. And actually what someone else at one of the panels was talking about is that's kind of DC strategy. You know, Marvel's got, you know, Marvel Comics has got this, like they're relaunching number ones like every few months or year, like a year and there's a new number one. While And and they'll do like 35 variant covers or something. While DC's strategy has been trying to get writers to write stories that are going to be those evergreen stories that once they get collected in trades, the trades will keep on selling for years to come. Right, yeah. Like that has been DC Comics strategy. And, you know, what this article says is that there wasn't ever very much in the Time Warner days and it's a smaller drop in an even bigger ocean following the AT&T acquisition. So basically their point is, look at how much revenue the comic books bring in and as far as AT&T is concerned, that's chump change. Right. And that's the writer's concern when it comes to DC Comics as an entity in the AT&T structure. Right. And and nobody's going to argue with that. Like, the numbers are pretty clear. I mean, it's it really is a drop in the bucket. But the idea of it is, like, it's been an idea generator for not only IP, but stories, and also, like, all the other stuff that eventually gets tied into it, all the merchandising. Like, I kind of feel like, you know, even if it's not profitable, even if it's not making a lot of money, like, you are just pumping out all kinds of ideas. And from that, you're going to be able to mine things that you can actually take and, and maybe throw it to the big screen and, you know, and make even more money off of it. Like, like I just kind of feel like if you if you left it entirely up to this bullpen of screenwriters to just put out a story every, like, two years or three years on a big screen, I just don't know that that you're going to you're going to hit every single time. Like I I kind of feel like you you have to you have to give a lot of different people in various voices to try to come up with ideas and and finally find something that that maybe just clicks and and that's what I'm worried about ultimately. No, I understand that. But but some, here's another part that got brought up and I thought this was an interesting point. The the article towards the end says looking to the future of comics publishing, which is once again, which is the main concern about what we're talking about in this article. DC had a booth at the recent Book Expo trade show for the first time in more than a decade touting its new line of teen and young adult material, much of which is published direct to trade rather than sold through comic shops. It's not the most visible part of the company, nor the most directly tied to the familiar DC brand of superheroes, but it could represent the kind of revenues necessary to keep the business alive under the looming corporate acts. And I will tell you this, that is something that if you watch like the DC Comics Twitter feed or their marketing or like their YouTube videos, they're talking about things like Raven or Dear Justice League or these original graphic novel, you know, more in the lines of what I would see from like Scholastic or, you know, the stuff that goes directly into bookstores and, cir- I mean, can show up in comic shops, but it's not the direct market. Yeah, it, it's going out into the wider trade world, and and with the number of comic book shops that are closing annually, I think it's I think it's a real idea that corporately these entities are going to start thinking about, which is you know how valuable is the direct 
direct market to us? How valuable is the comic book shops? You know, when instead of having to rely on diamond distribution, we can go to, you know, a Barnes Noble or a Books a Million or, you know, just any kind of bookseller out there. Yeah. Well, and that's where I think the DC Universe experiment is 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 going to be pretty telling to see kind of where that thing lands. Because I agree, like you're kind of in this era where some avenues where you distribute new content, uh, let's just take Netflix, for example, they've got the model where they will dump an entire season all at once. And so people can binge an entire season in one day or, you know, over a period of a couple of days. If you're reading a, a maxi series in a comic book, it's going to take you generally like 12 months to read it. And I got to tell you, that's been always one of my biggest gripes about being a comic reader is to go through and you read you read an installment in a story and then you got to have to wait a month before you get to the next one. And that whole month in between when I read the previous issue and the next one, like I've lost track of like, I can't remember everything that happened. And so I understand the value of just kind of dumping everything all at once. And I, and I think that's one of the interesting things about DC Universe is they've got all this back catalog in there. And people can go and read, say, Final Crisis, and they can read them all at once. And and it's it's much easier to kind of consume a storyline like that when you don't have to sit there and stretch it out over, you know, a year or two. Well, and that's also kind of going back to the fact of look at the way especially uh, well I can only speak to DC comics but look at the way they're being written the thing you'll hear is they're being written for trade they're not really being written in a sometimes not even the most uh, palatable way to be read it monthly no they're being written for them to eventually be sold as a trade because they're seeing the vision the future of our revenue is going to come from that trade selling forever Yeah, they're not terribly concerned as much with the individual issues right and you know and I, and I have found that to be the case like when I go and talk to people and they'll say oh man this story it was so difficult it sucked it was whatever it was because they were reading it month to month and as it's famously recorded in this podcast <laughs> I'm usually one to two years behind so by the time I get around to reading some of these arcs I have literally trade weighted with the individual issues now I don't buy the trade but I, I have all the issues from start to finish ready to go and I just read it one after the other and what I've discovered is that has made the stories more enjoyable and more palatable for me so that I enjoyed it more than the person who like you said read it read 20 something pages and then had to wait two or four weeks for the next installment yeah and that's my point as well like there is a ton of value with being able to just present a whole story all at once and and I think that's what's going to be kind of interesting to see how well not only the the old back catalog stuff is received on DC Universe but like I think it's only a matter of time with DC Universe that they start producing original content that is exclusive to DC Universe. You know, when it comes to when it comes to like say comics, right? Which they've done lightly. They've, they've done, done lightly. Yes, they've done very lightly. I mean, I think like three issues, like two issues of Young Justice Outsiders and one Krypton prequel comic. Yeah, but I mean, don't you think that's inevitable? Because I mean, you're trying to move people over from a, a periodical print medium over to a service, much like Netflix, but just for readers. You you know, and that's where I kind of found this whole thing interesting here because, I mean, obviously it wouldn't happen because, you know, AT&T, despite what is kind of implied kind of loosely in this article that they may not value the, you know, DC Comics as well. I mean, it's being implied that they don't value DC Comics, but they certainly value the IP, right? But they, they value the IP. They just don't particularly maybe value the comics publishing aspect of the company. Right. But so that's that's the one thing that's kind of interesting. Like, you know, it, it takes an entities like, say, Netflix, you know, they're putting out original content it's it's a purely it's a it's a purely a small screen type of medium but like wouldn't it be kind of interesting to be the first company that could say you know what we're going to be putting out original content ongoing and just do 
do it just purely like say um like say if it was dc universe and they let's say they have uh, let's say they did batman damned and they had the whole series done all at once right and then you could just drop that thing and as a fan i can go and read i can go read all the story all at once and not have to sit there and deal with all the frustrations of waiting for the things that come out like i can see the value of something like that and it just seems like it's only a matter of time before they start doing that uh when it comes to comics yeah but what it's going to result in is the the death of the comic book as we know it. it it's going to mutate into something else for its survival i believe yeah yeah which i think has been a long time com- i mean honestly it's been a long time coming anyway i mean don't you think yes i mean it, i think so yes i mean comics is it has had such a disadvantage it's the uh, the time element to comics is, is is really such a it's such an anchor on the medium mm-hmm. so there you go there you go <laughs> <laughs> god, god guys i'm we're sorry but that but the, that's really where the meat of this week was was like in this corporate shenanigans type of type of stuff yeah yeah and that's just it i mean we want to you know we we're just as curious as you are we're, we're trying to figure out which way is this going to go we're trying to read the tea leaves here and that's why we spent a lot of time covering this kind of stuff because we're trying to figure it out we're trying to figure out where their head's at so. so i mean that's basically it i mean in terms of like movie news i mean there's not a whole lot just uh again a quick reminder the kitchen is coming out next week so we're just under a week away from that debut support it go see it our next week is a review so you're gonna need to <laughs> you're gonna need to see it to listen to our next episode yeah absolutely we got a couple of things uh, it looks like apparently matt reeves has a parking spot now uh at warner brothers studios so <laughs> just another sign that things are starting to heat up uh we have some news about james wan he is going to be doing another film before he starts filming aquaman 2 which is not surprising i think we had heard that at least to some degree well we get an idea what the film is going to be now it's an untitled horror film uh that he's going to do obviously before he begins work on aquaman 2 so and apparently the plot is under wraps but it's going to be for a screenplay that he's going to actually going to co-write with ingrid bisu is that how you would say the name ah that's as good (laughs) as my guess can be yep and then he's going to actually produce through the atomic monster banner anyway so that gives you a little bit of timing about when we might see something with aquaman 2 so moving on to some new gods news we had ava duvernay had done a q a it's her famous like hashtag ask ava stuff that she does on twitter um we got a little bit of tidbits about you know what we can expect from new gods and i'm just going to kind of run through these in just a general order here um it was asked if uh she was a big fan of tom king's mr miracle work you know which you know we always hear is being praised which you said you loved i loved yeah she was wondering and the person was asking i was wondering what you know led him to co-write new gods script with you she says well i'm a big fan of his too and asked him to write it with me and he said yes so lucky me so she saying that she's the one that was seeking out tom king uh someone asked about what about dark side she said dark side is okay so i mean seriously it's a new gods movie it's a new gods movie you don't think dark side's gonna be in that movie (laughs) (laughs) it's the least surprising thing in the entire world someone asked do you already have an actor on your list to be one of the characters of new gods and she says no keeping my mind open which is i gotta if if she's being completely honest here i'm a little sad because i want logan Marshall Green, you know, to be Mr. Miracle. Like, that was kind of teased quite a while ago. I feel like, but that's the PC answer you have to say. You think? I mean, she... Yes. yes. You, th- you think she would be... Uh, she would say she has none in mind? Like, she would have to say with, it that with, when it comes to nego- 
when it comes to contract negotiations and studios and stuff, you can, you you can't say anything like that. Yeah, yeah you're, you're probably right. But I was I would I would have thought she would have maybe skirted around the answer a little bit more. It's kind of like the same way people say, "Nope, I'm not being considered for the role." And then two weeks later, yes, they have signed the contract. I mean, yeah, people lie all the time, Tim. No, absolutely. we have learned this. Well, and the other thing too is like you know they may have mutual self interest in this thing, or not self interest, but mutual interest in having uh, having Logan maybe in that role. But until we know when this thing's going to actually time out, we don't even know if he's available, right? So, so I mean, it could be as simple as that. Um, we have another question that said, you know, any chance of any of the cast of when of when they see us, you know, going to be in New Gods? And she responded, and this is something we've we've seen with her films. In each of my narrative projects, since my first film entitled I Will Follow, I bring over an actor from the last project that I made. So yes, there is a 99.9% chance that this will happen again. Uh, she was asked, are we going to see the Furies in New Gods? And she says, how could any self-respecting Barda fan not include the Furies? I'm looking forward to them so much. That's another one of those. <laughs> it's, that's a, that's about one step under the dark side question. It's one step under. I mean, the dark side one is like, seriously, you know, of course he's going to be in it, or at least he's going to be in it, right? He's going to be in it in some form. You cannot some tell form. the story of the New Gods <laughs> right. without dark side. But the Furies, I mean, it, it's been pretty clear, especially, I mean, we know her favorite character is Big Barda. The Furies are going to be in it. So I am so looking forward to seeing a big screen Granny Goodness. <laughs> I want to know what that looks like. Uh, I want to know what that looks like. Because yeah. I'm sorry, Granny Goodness to me is still the voice of Ed Asner from the <laughs> from Superman the Animated Series. Yeah. It really is. Oh, <laughs> darling. So, so it's good. She's engaged. She's obviously on her mind right now. She just got done with that, that one week session with Tom King. So I'm hoping things are progressing pretty well here. I can only imagine there's a lot of back and forth text going between those two. Okay. Uh, some Black Adam news. Uh, I guess as much news as we can get, there was an interview in Collider with Hiram Garcia because he was they caught him at the premiere for uh, Hobbs and Shaw, you know, the, the latest Fast and Furious presentation. And the news we got out of this was that um, Wame, call it Sarah, has closed his deal because Garcia actually says the deal has been closed. <laughs> and that means that the plan to start filming Black Adam is the end of next year. Okay, whenever this movie, whenever this movie gets started, <laughs> this is getting like this is getting like flash level almost. Yeah, but we did get confirmation they have a director hired now. Uh, he did accept, uh, I guess, the role uh, to be the director for this. They said that this was going to show up after after Red Notice, which I don't know how many films down the road that one is. <laughs> for, <laughs> for Dwayne Johnson. For Dwayne I mean, Johnson. I mean, I, I can't even keep track of it. He's so prolific with putting films out. But yeah, so it's timing wise, that's when it's that's what their plan is. And and I'm guessing they probably got this thing all mapped out <laughs> where, you know, where his time is going to be spent, what film he's going to be making, when he's going to be making it. Oh, you better believe it. There, there, there is a whiteboard somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. With magnets and like yarn. <laughs> <laughs> probably. All right. So moving on to something else. Uh, uh, again, Justice League coming back from the grave. Fabian Wagner has revealed more behind the scenes shots. And uh, so he's been, again, just continues to be very prolific on Instagram, which I'm just enjoying it. It's like it's like Zach's too busy filming Army of the Dead. So <laughs> fun. So Fabian he's taking is over. going on taking over. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's probably not on Vero, right? So this is his avenue. Oh, but this is this is uh, another good one. So, I mean, he talked about this was actually another scene of the Ana- Amazonians riding on their horses, all done with green screen. I always love seeing these green screen shots because you see like they literally cover everything with these 
these little green tarps in the background. Yeah, and and, and this had Robin Wright and Connie Nielsen. Yeah, you know, because we because Robin Wright was supposed to be in the movie. Yeah, it, you know, so we're probably talking because we're talking about the history lesson here. Yeah. So again, uh, it's just these little kind of like just putting these little pokes out there, <laughs> saying it. Oh yeah, by the way, this was filmed and it didn't make it in. But he said, you know, when you need a big enough stage for galloping some horses, it becomes a pretty big lighting setup. Our softbox covered the whole of the stage with a mix of sky panels and space lights. Second pick uh, was our hero Amazonians on their action horses for some cool close-up work. So that's always kind of fun to see. And then we got another scene where he posted an image of the Bruce Wayne uh, hangar where um, that was apparently done all with this green screen. I didn't realize how much of the stuff they actually had that wasn't green screen. Yeah, well, the daytime lighting that we saw in the theatrical version, but yet somehow was supposed to be the Batcave. Right. Just saying. <laughs> right. Oh, well. So again, he's just kind of like, he's 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 poking the beast here, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then let's talk about some other people who decided to poke the bear. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, and, and led to a myriad of reactions. First off, we got a we got a tweet from Mark Hughes from Forbes. We haven't talked about him in a while, but he had this tweet that says, there's an edit of Snyder's version of Justice League that's 90 plus percent completed. And I personally suspect Warner Brothers' incoming CEO will have that version released on HBO Max sometime in the next year or two. This is just a guess on my part, not sourced. Yeah. Okay. Well, previously, he had had the position that there was no assembled director's cut. There was only nothing more than an assembled, uh, like an assembly cut, which is, right. a, which is a much cruder version. So he's apparently got some new information, and you have to give him credit. There's people out there that don't want to do this thing, you know, to, to give him credit because they're saying, well, you, you know, you were on the wrong side. Like, I've seen statements like that i'm like that doesn't matter if he's coming out and saying like i was wrong he's over he's come over he's come over that's the point we want we need people to come over yes and let's be clear here he he says i was wrong like he said that and there's a bunch of different back and forth that he had in this conversation he's coming out and saying that so it's like who cares who cares if he was right or wrong you know the fact of the matter is like he's saying it he's got information now saying that it's greater than 90 percent complete like that's significant it's another voice yes that I think that's the point. It's getting loud, folks. And and la- and here's my point. It's getting loud from people who actually have influence. You know, we, the fans, have helped push people to pay attention. But it's going to take these people who have larger platforms to push higher. It, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a team effort here. And hey, he's changed his tune. Great. Change the tune and start playing the tune tune we want to hear right absolutely yeah i mean it's, that's the thing we we forget about too often because i mean if, if you just look at any of our twitter feeds scott we're surrounded by people that think like us because absolutely we, you know we follow people that you know we have int- we we share similar viewpoints so we tend to follow them those people tend to follow us it, it becomes kind of an echo chamber so we always constantly hear like oh you know release the snyder cut yes absolutely we all want that we all agree with it but the thing is like that's a very narrow spot <laughs> of the world right there you know so so when you start getting these things out there and you start getting you know articles published by you know Newsweek by the Washington Post you know you get like things out there starting Toronto Star Toronto Star you know. yeah I mean you're getting this thing out to a larger audience you know Mark Hughes you know goes beyond our little niche uh, of the universe of you know where we reside so uh, Kevin Smith who we'll talk about in a moment is another person like it's getting a bigger voice now and, it, and it's because of all the efforts of all of us you know and all the different people that and all the different ways that they've done 
to try to just keep pushing us forward. You know, keep keep the idea alive that you know we want to see we want to see a better cut of Justice League that we know is out there. I mean, it's been it's been two years of fans. Pu- I mean, it it it's it, it's coming up on two years to the day almost that uh, of fans pushing hard and doing various projects and charities and ads and and things. And the point is, it it's like now every week it seems like there's somebody else with an article or an interview or an influencer who's talking about it. That's good. That's what you want. And then in the same week, Kevin Smith goes on the Real Blend podcast for Cinema Blend. And I, I listened to the to this is a two hour interview, and there's like a 10, 15 minute chunk that the interviewer brings it up, and then Kevin Smith just runs with it. Yes, he does. Yeah, I listened to it too. And and this is the thing, like he's you know, he's just got a loud megaphone, right? So, you know, he was basically saying, Look, uh, I hadn't seen it firsthand, and he goes, Be clear, I know Zach, but it's not like, you know, he says, and you know, we're not tight. He says, but that said, I've spoken now to enough people at various levels in the production, and he says, there is a Snyder Cut, for sure. This is not a mythical beast. It exists. And then he goes on to talk about, like, you know, the, a lot of the stuff that, you know, we've kind of heard, and and a lot of us have, like, known for quite a while. It's it's not a finished movie by any stretch of the imagination. There's previs, there's green screen, there's, you know, and then stuff like what Zach released on Comic-Con of Wonder Woman killing Steppenwolf. That's obviously not done. Yeah. You know, there's stuff that we know is not done, but, you know, going back to what Hugh says, but it's 90% or more done. Yeah. But then he goes on to really kind of talk about how he's kind of blasting out this idea is like, hey, you know, we're pretty mature fans right now. We understand that things may not be done all the way. And and he's suggesting that, like, you could release this thing right now as is and put it out there. And, you know, of course, there's been a lot of people, you know, a lot of us have suggested that, that this is something you could do. You know, we'd all want to see a finished cut. And we, we want to see it actually finished. We want to see it actually finished. I'm sure Zack Snyder wants to see it actually finished. You know, so to 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 convince you know the studio and Zack Snyder to you know cooperatively put out something that's not finished. I mean, I think that's going to be a tough call to do, but it's not entirely out of the question that it might happen, right? So anyway, but it's just great. You're right, Scott. It was like ten minutes of him going on and talking about this thing, which is great, you know. And it's Kevin Smith. It's Kevin when Smith when he's enth- when he's enthusiastic about something. I mean, it's like just you know you know open a chair, grab the popcorn, and watch. Yeah. I mean, and he's talked about it enough on his own podcast on Fat Man. Beyond, Fat Man and Batman, the and now Fat Man Beyond, he's brought up the idea of the Snyder Cut at least two or three times already. Yeah, and you get this thing out there, and, and especially when it starts becoming a much more mainstream discussion topic, like you know this is going to come up again. Like he's going to go on and on about this at some other point. And let's remember when we talk about various levels of production, something that gets brought up. Remember, he's recently healed a riff that he had with Affleck, <laughs> right? Because Affleck is in Jane Silent Bob reboot. Yeah. So who? Did, how? Did, how did he suddenly come to this realization? Realization. <laughs> when we talk about various levels of production, who have you been talking to, Kevin? Yeah. And that's the thing is, I mean, and so much more, I'm sure. <laughs> like, he's been told things, I'm sure. So, like, who knows what else is going to come out from him at some point. I mean, are we going to learn a little bit more about the, the drama behind why Ben decided to kind of walk away from the project? You know, like, some of that's going to certainly come out at some point. But the point is, it's more people coming out and keeping the story going. Yes, nothing Kevin said in that interview is stuff that we, the the uber nerds who follow this, already knew. Yes. But this is an interview that's reaching mo- 
more people, and it's keeping the story from dying. I mean, it has been nonstop every week. Like this has been like the summer. You know, think about last summer and think about this summer. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit different. Oh, the difference a year makes. Yes. Yeah. So, so this is this is all good news. It's all good, and we we also know about another article that's being put together right now. We do. That's gonna be a, that's gonna be from another high profile. So just kind of stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, seriously, folks, that's it for this week's podcast. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank you so much for listening as we either talked about corporate <laughs> shenanigans or more Snyder Cut news. Yeah. But just a reminder, next week will be a review of The Kitchen. Go out, support this at your local movie theater. Go see it. Yes. It's a different kind of movie, but it's technically still a DC property. We've been talking about it for about a year. We're going to go watch it. We're going to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Go support the filmmakers. People have been working hard to put this thing out. I'm looking forward to a fun experience of this. Uh, looking forward to reviewing it. This is going to be quite a bit different than something we've reviewed in terms of a DC. I know. This is going to feel more like a Squadcast movies review it is. Than, it's, yeah. than it's going to be a, a Suicide Squadcast episode. Yeah. So nice little flavor there. Yeah. But once again, it's been a lot of fun and we'd love to hear from you. So reach out to us. You can reach us at Suicide Squadcast on Twitter. I can be reached individually at ScottDC27. Yep. And then on Twitter, you can reach me at Alan Fire. And then you can also email us, Suicide Squadcast at gmail.com. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on Vero, Facebook. We have a website, SuicideSquadcast.com. And don't forget about our Patreon.com slash Squadcast Media. We want to thank everyone who supports us already. And we invite you all to, you know, $5 a month gets you over 200 pieces of content currently, including our upcoming review of Batman 1989. Absolutely. All right. So that's it for this week, guys. We thank you for listening. And we would encourage you to go out and keep reading some DC. Bye, guys. Scott, one of the things that I had in our notes that I, I figured we could maybe talk about, it was Zachary Levi. He, you know, he's posting some pictures of himself in the gym. And, you know, there's like four, uh, three or four pictures, I think, him working out. And, you know, he's getting kind of buff again. So, which, which by the way, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that he legitimately gets even more buff so they can get rid of that, the whatever it was, the, the padding they put in that Shazam costume. <laughs> so, anyway, I was kind of excited that he was posting these pictures of him working out. And then I kind of scroll through it and realize he's legitimately just peddling his supplement product like that's what he's doing well you know guys gotta eat (laughs) guys gotta eat yeah that's fine but you know what you wasted my time zachary i'm sorry but stop peddling your supplements this is for you shazam Uh, we did get some stuff. Um, uh, hold on a second. My headphones went out again. Okay. I got to figure out what's going on with these. Okay. There we go.